Hi everyone, it's Dr. Denise. This is the Dr. Denise Show. This is the On Staying Sane series, and I have had a theme going on recently about how important it is to take care of our business, take care of our linears. It's a big part of having reduced stress, making sure our estate's in order, and that we've just got everything done. It's stuff we just do not talk about. So I just wanted to welcome William Stetson, thank you so much for being here today. You're board certified by Florida in wills, trusts, and estates, and you have got some stories and wisdom to share with us. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Wow. So, you know, I'm actually wondering, can you take us on a journey of what inspired you to pursue this type of law before we jump into some different scenarios and things that you can help people with. Sure. So when I I went to law school, my first job out of law school, I was actually a litigator with the Florida Attorney General's office. Um, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, it's, it's great experience. They throw you in the deep end of the pool. So right away you have trials and evidentiary hearings. And one thing I noticed about myself is I think my, personality isn't well suited to litigation because I take everything way too personally. (laughs) Um, I I have to tell you, that is so incredible that you just had this awareness because one of the themes that happens throughout the show um, is how do we embrace our own neuro style? How do we know what we like and what we don't like? And right when I heard that you were doing litigation, my understanding is broad strokes understanding. You can give me the, the real school of knocks on being an attorney, but usually is it only 10% of cases actually go to litigation? So it's it's a very smaller part of law, that real kind of intense, aggressive part of law. Uh, well, for, for litigation, I mean, most cases get settled, but before you go. reach a settlement, right, there's still a lot of fighting and discovery. There's depositions and evidentiary hearings. There's a lot of lot of legal combat that goes on. And typically cases settle towards the very end, you know, as you're getting ready for trial, or, you know, almost on the courthouse steps. You know, that it's a cliche, but it's true. A lot of cases settle immediately before trial. When you said that you realized you were taking it personally, did you, were you feeling the energy of the situation? Like, what was it like when you were, when you said you were feeling like you were taking it personally? What did it, what, give us an example. So, so as a litigation attorney, and I think, again, my experience might be a little bit unique because I was a government lawyer. So I had a pretty big stack of my own cases, right? And yeah, it wasn't like working for a, a big firm or I'm under a partner. Um, I had my own stuff. And, you know, your the job to me, it felt like I was in daily combat, legal combat, but all day, every day, you're fighting with somebody. You know, wow. it's it's a lot of butting heads and clashing. And let me come up with this argument. And how can I trick that guy? And you know, it, it's it can be a lot of fun. I mean, one of the great pleasures in life as a lawyer is to to you know nail somebody on cross examination. Um, who may not be telling the entire truth, but um, I noticed that for me. You know, it's interesting. I had a time, it was, gosh, it was actually way way at the beginning 
when I started practicing psychiatry and there was a deposition in my office and it had to do um, with someone, uh, you know, it was a someone in my practice that I took great care of. So it really wasn't about anything I did or didn't do. They needed the data because there was some abuse, uh, some, you know, a coach doing something they shouldn't be doing to a, a team. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting. I thought, because of the hat I wear of being nurturing all the time, I wasn't expecting the attorney to come in there and be being kind of unkind. And the way he started out the meeting saying, well, you know, I talk really fast. You might not be able to keep up with me or something to try to like ruffle your feathers, so to speak. So I think what you're talking about, I mean, I know you've got a lot of experience of this, but I remember I went into my own version of, well, oh, you might actually, I actually said to him, well, I talk fast as well, and you might be ruffled. <laughs> because and I, I never, William, I, it just came out of my mouth, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I, it's like I have my own little, we all do, right? We all mm-hmm. have different levels when we're in different situations. So your journey started out in litigation. So tell us sort of what inspired you to be on the path you're on now. It sounds like it was guided by this this experience. How long did you stay in that, and what what was the rest of the path weaving to right now? So I was at the Florida Attorney General's office for a little over two years. Um, And I realized that litigation really wasn't for me um, fairly early on. And so my father has a tax preparation business, or he's since retired, but down in Miami. So he did taxes. And one of his best friends was a tax lawyer who I got to know when I grew up playing sports with his son. And he always seemed kind of happy and it got me thinking and I realized I was a government lawyer. So everybody is always against the government, right? I got Mm -hmm. protested and had all these crazy things happen to me while I was litigating, even for just such a short time. And I realized my dad's friend, everybody liked him. And I think it's because he's a tax lawyer. So his job is to fight the IRS. So he's always the good guy. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. So... Anyway, so I ended up getting a tax LLM, which is a, an advanced law degree in taxation from the University of Florida. And I got hired through connections I developed in the attorney general's office. I got hired with a smaller firm in South Florida to um, you know, primarily handle estate planning you know, and largely a transactional practice. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so... I know on my end as a doctor, because I work with all ages and I'm here in Southern California and Manhattan Beach, you know, having fiscal health and also good ways of talking about your estate planning. I think one of the toughest things that I've heard on my end is sometimes it's hard for people if they're not already on it, they don't have that mindset that they should be calling you up, making an appointment, having a will. Sometimes people are almost like in denial that they're ever going to die. Or let's say there's a huge lump, like sums of money. There's different layers of family dynamics that happen. Can you like maybe just walk us through what a day is like for you? Like who comes to see you and how do you counsel? We can just do some bread and butter, what it's like when someone calls you. Sure. Well, you know, when, when people call me, um, you know, a lot of times they've already kind of, they're in that mindset that they, they know they need to take care of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'll have a family member 
arrange a phone call for someone that might be a bit reluctant. And you know, one of the things that I talk to people about that not everybody realizes, it's not just estate planning. It's not just what happens when you pass away. But a lot of what we do is making arrangements for who is going to take care of the client once they can't take care of themselves, right? And that's going to happen to almost everybody. That's crucial because we're looking at the mental, physical, and spiritual health of someone. And I know that from an integrity standpoint, most of us, we've been independent most of our lives. So it's like at that time when maybe you're medically or mentally not able to be aware enough to pay your bills or walk to get your mail or whatever your reason is at that end of life, whatever age you are, there's so many things that involve very like delicate discussions. So I think I'm going to say delicate discussions one more time, delicate discussions. Mm -hmm. William, take us on a couple of the delicate discussions that you need to do that people wouldn't even expect that you need to do. Well, when we have that conversation about who's going to take care of you when you can't take care of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you have to pick somebody, right? So you have to decide who in your family do you trust. And a lot of times that can get to, to, to a, a difficult or a delicate conversation, right? Depending yes. on the relationship. Typically it's with children most yes. often, right? Or other close family members. Um. But, you know, those relationships are, are, are pretty dynamic. And, you know, a parent might not have the best relationship with a child. So, um, you know, deciding or the, the client has to pick who do they trust to take care of them when they can't take care of themselves. And that gets, you know, it, it's it seems like a, a fairly simple conversation, but it, it really evolves into a lot of discussing of the family dynamics. Well, I'm also thinking that we all have different superpowers. So like, let's say someone has two or three kids and maybe one of the the adult, it's usually probably an adult child, but we're going to go through some different scenarios. Maybe they have like the biggest heart of gold, but maybe their neuro style isn't that they could get it together to take them to appointments and to do this. So right. sometimes there's different skill sets that each child has. And then how do you not alienate the rest of the siblings if they weren't picked. Because even if they look, there are scenarios where everyone does get along, but there's just different people. Like I know my brother is really great at investing and, you know, he's got that business hat. And so maybe my mom would want him to handle the legal, like more of the legal business part, but it doesn't mean that my sister and I aren't nurturing and wouldn't want my mom to live with us or take her to the appointments or, you know, so I think the delicate discussions can have some qualitatively rich front loading to not like not worsen the fine. Like, let's say there is a, a, there's different layers. There's situations where maybe the family dynamics fantastic. Like my siblings were very fortunate. We get along, but there could be, I see in my practice people that, especially if there's been family businesses, I've seen where there's a lot of, I've, I've actually helped people that this wasn't at the end of their life, but there were family businesses and there were layers of power issues with generational wealth and power and someone almost trying to prove themselves within the family. So it probably takes, does it take you a bit of time to build that rapport to help navigate the, the style of the, the client you're working with? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy, right? If there's a good family dynamic and, you know, the, the client will pick the, 
the daughter that lives nearby, right? And if she can't do it, then another child. So a lot of times it's, it's fairly straightforward, but there are times where it can be really problematic, you know, especially when there's distrust. Like if you're picking amongst children, okay. you know, it's not uncommon for there to be distrust amongst children. It seems like everything that happened when they were eight years old and little kids, nobody's ever really gotten over that. So if a, if a client brings kids into that decision-making process, you know, a lot of times you can see the kids start to, to argue over and things and still fight. And there's a lot of like, logically it doesn't seem to make sense, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of family dynamics. There's a lot of pain that comes up to the surface. And it seems like, you know, sometimes part of my job, I feel like kind of like what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of empathy. It's a lot of listening. And then trying to, to guide people to say, okay, I understand that you have these issues, but you know, who's in the best position to manage the, the financial matters, to pay the bills, to pay your taxes, things like that? Or who's best to, to make healthcare decisions for the client? Yes. Um, so it's like you, know, you have to have a strategic estate plan. I'm right. just writing down keywords that are like more uplifting. So we talk delicate discussions, strategic estate plan, and then looking at the different family dynamics, but also who is maybe better at money management, right. who's the more nurturing. And then have you had a situation where there's so much strife that you said, I can wear the hat of helping you with your legal matters, but have you, do you have like um, a family mediator or someone that you can go seek counsel because I'm sure there's times where someone's just really been emotionally so distraught and you're like, wait a second. Now I know I can be empathic, but maybe they need to get some counseling. Has that ever come ever happened? Uh, at times, um, you know, I have to be careful about that dynamic because we still have attorney client privilege. Right. So we bring in third parties, you know, that privilege could be lost. Um, that could be important. Um, but you know, it's not uncommon for, for people that are having these more difficult times and deciding who's going to be in charge, who are the fiduciaries, who gets what, that, you know, whether it's a, you know, a trusted family friends, um, a lot of times it's financial advisors that they've been working with for decades, um, that know all the, the players very well. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, the family asks them to get involved, but no, that happens. I, you know, I wouldn't say it's common. Mm-hmm. But it absolutely happens. So when someone's about to pick up the call, and I know that it's going to depend on who's calling you. It could be someone first calling you to say, so and so is going to be calling you. What is like a list of things that you would want people to have? In, like, what what do you ask them to do after that first call and gathering their data that then that they then give to you? Sure. So you know, after, typically the way it works is the first meeting we explain to them what we can do for them, the kinds of things, the kinds of documents we can prepare. We have a general discussion about what their decision points are. You know, typically it's, unless it's high net worth, people that need some tax planning, typically it's who do you want to be in charge and who gets what? So you know, a lot of times the clients need some time to think about that. And, um, you know, I ask for their old documents and, and whatnot, but you know, I, I give them some time to, to make those decisions. And, um, you know, where it gets to be a bit trickier is when family dynamics can be broken. 
And right. There's a decision to disinherit somebody. Yeah, so that's, that's you know what I just you know what just came to me, hmm. William. We just had dun 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 delicate discussions. Now let's have dicey discussions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's. It's almost like we're on our own little game show. Like, okay, William, tell tell me. And I know, by the way, I want to be very respectful mm-hmm. that you have attorney client privilege. So as we talk about these dicey discussions, we're not going to be. It, these are just broad strokes. Sure. Scenarios that could happen. So maybe would it be easier if I just threw some at you or do you want to just tell me, like you just said, disinheriting. I think disinheriting would be probably the number one dicey discussion, correct? That's that's right up there for sure. What would, well, what would you say are the top three dicey discussions you've needed to have? It doesn't uh, have to be the top three. It could just be a few that come to mind. So we've got disinheriting. Yeah, disinheriting. And then um, when there's actual conflict, right? So let's say there's a child that is a trustee or has a power of attorney over a parent and there's allegations of wrongdoing. Mm. Or after a parent passes, there's allegations of wrongdoing by the the personal representative, which Florida calls an executor, or the trustee, the person that's in charge of the assets. Um, You know, and and is there tension there? So um, those are the dicey discussions that you know, when those happen, it's, you know, it's a lot of times it's pre-litigation or it can be, you know, things can get pretty intense. Um, you know, I actually, this is just to add some flavor to our <laughs> discussion. I, I, uh, this is going to, I had no idea I was going to say this to you. I went on a date a little over a week ago and the man was in a different age range than me. I actually decided to go on a date with someone about a decade older mm-hmm. just to try a different age range to see if I would have a match. And he was a lovely human being, but he was at different life stages. Mm-hmm. And without being said, he had kind of confided in me some family conflict. And so I just, and, it, and I had such deep compassion, Right. So I, I just want to say when this happens, these dicey situations with disinheriting, the disinheriting, now, does that usually happen before someone passes away? Like something happened? Of right. course, that's what it is. Correct. Yes. Um, is it where they're like, how many times are people coming in and changing their will because they're annoyed with someone? Um, does, how often does that happen? In your uh, oh, it happens fairly regularly. It seems like it happens a lot after the holidays. Right, because everybody's <laughs> mad from Christmas. Um, oh my God, that's almost like it's on. I feel like if you were doing your blog post um, on your site, you could have. Well, don't be fighting during the holidays, everyone. Oh right, yeah, that's when you get peace. taken out of the will. <laughs> don't I would I would title that "Don't get taken out of the will." Here are the top the top five things not to do at the dinner table. Uh-huh. What not to dive in, and what are some of the biggest reasons? that people do get taken out of the will. What are some of the, are you able to share? I don't want to obviously break any client privilege and confidentiality, but are there, are you been practicing for years? So are there some commonalities? So um, yes, there are. So uh, for disinheriting, typically it's when there's a problem child that the parents have, at least from what I've known, somebody's they've really supported a lot during their lives. You know, the, the kid may have, addiction issues or they just get in like their serial bad relationship people um, and the parents have helped them 
throughout their entire life. And, you know, they've, they feel like they've perhaps neglected the other kids. Yeah. So they feel like, you know what, listen, Katie, we've taken care of you so much. We've done so much for you. We're giving everything to Johnny. Um, so that's not uncommon. Um, sometimes when kids steal from parents, you know, you see that more often than you think. Um, you know, the parents are like, no, we're, we're cutting you off. Um, so there's, you know, there's more benign situations like, you know, it's, if one kid is, you know, for example, a manager at Goldman Sachs and they're killing it, they don't need the money. Um, oh, that's actually, do you know what? That's actually lovely to bring up because I was also recently, I heard this really unique situation, which I think you might love to weigh in. I was at a celebration of someone's birthday and this individual that's very fiscally successful, he and his ex-wife, they decided to stay married on paper mm-hmm. because they had so many like estates, real estate, will, like yachts, everything. And this individual confided in me at a party. He said, I didn't know until eight years later that my son, who's very savvy financially, was the one that talked my I would just say wife, but ex-wife because they're not together um, to not do the divorce. Don't do the legal part of it. And that actually saved the family's wealth. Mm -hmm. He said it probably saved them upwards to a half million to a million in fighting. And he was smiling in a sweet way when he told me he was so proud of his children that somehow they went to their mother and instead of sort of like the entire estate, like the wrecking ball situation, which I, I hear in my office, you know, mm-hmm. help people through some of these unimaginable, very, very toxic divorces and toxic financial battles. And it's kind of neat when you see that even you see people that maybe even if you're not still in love or you don't get along, that you're really kind of having a more mature approach to your portfolio and protecting your legacy. So have you seen that? Oh, I have some clients right now that are in that position. It's kind of unique, right? Because they live totally separate lives. Correct. But but for you know these are high net worth people. Yes. And through the you know estate taxes, you know once you hit a certain threshold, Mm -hmm. right now it's about twenty six million dollars that a husband and wife can leave to their kids. But anything in excess of that gets taxed at a forty percent rate. So, and then when, when parents divorce, it makes the, the planning a lot trickier, but if they're still together, you can, it's, you, you could literally save a family millions of dollars in taxes. Um, well, that's actually, have you ever written, I'm not trying to give you like little homework assignments, but <laughs> I feel like there could be like a book you could write that does these like really fun shorts of like what to do, what not to do. It'd be kind of neat if you're, you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes yeah. people are in that battle mode, you know, throughout all of our lives, no matter if we're talking about estate planning, mental health, our family, we go through moments of crisis, stabilization and thrive. And depending on when someone picks up the phone to call you and what emotional state or how soon they are into maybe the battle mindset would mm-hmm. determine maybe some very huge decisions financially. If you're making Maybe I would also say, you know, how when we're little kids, we're taught stop, drop, and roll. I would think before you call your estate plan, why not have like take a deep, the estate planner like yourself, take a deep breath, ask yourself, how emotional am I? 
Am I in a vindictive mood state? Am I in a calm one? Do I want to protect the legacy of my children? Like almost like some um, statements to talk yourself off the ledge for being right. like it, disinheriting or or not leaving something. So do you have like a formula or like a way you talk with people when they're maybe in a more um, aggravated emotional state on the phone? Yeah, and it's mostly listening, right? So it seems like when people are, are in that situation, mm-hmm. they're so frustrated and they're ready to blow it all up. Um, and it seems to me a lot of times it's like they, they need to be heard, right? You need to let them vent. And that can take a while, right? Because they're, they're pretty upset. And they're typically wealthier people, so they're used to, to getting their way and venting a lot. Um, so, you know, that, but yes, that absolutely happens. And you just have to, to let them go. Um, so, can and, we, and, yeah. With the, so, thank you. So, it sounds like a big part of what you do is empathic listening strategy. Mm-hmm. We're on the, still in the dicey discussion disinheriting we talked about maybe there there was a first that scenario one was there was a sibling who maybe had failure to launch and that was more of a codependent relationship and the parents were doing almost like their own life review as to hey is it really fair that so and so and just really looking at the fairness so that when they're no longer here you know we're all we you know, sometimes we all want to pretend we're going to live forever. But when you're at that moment of truth, and as a parent, you're doing your life review, it's very, very important to be strategic with that. So the other right. thing you said was kids stealing from their uh, parents. What are some other, like, disinheriting scenarios that you've seen? Or have we covered most of them? I'll tell you, what, one, of the, one of the more challenging circumstances that we see a lot of mm-hmm. is... Um, second marriages and dealing with children from the first marriage. And it seems like it's always the, the dad, you know, the parents get divorced, the dad remarries and he wants to provide for, you know, the second wife, but also for his children. And there's a lot of times planners will recommend creating a trust that takes care of the second wife for her life. And then when she passes, Everything goes to the kids. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much a guaranteed recipe for litigation. Oh. Um, it's a disaster. And I, I, we've had tons of cases under that exact same scenario. Because the kids in, feel like they should get it right away. Well, and, and then the the wife, you know, typically the wife is the trustee. Mm-hmm. And the wife, you know, doesn't have a good relationship with the, the children from the first marriage. So she's doing whatever she can to get assets out of the trust to leave to her family or her kids or other people, um, appropriately or not. I mean, we had one case, the the most extreme case I ever heard of this was Mm -hmm. um, that exact same scenario, you know, step, you know, trust for stepmother. And when she passed, everything went to the kids and the kids were pretty wealthy. Um, And they had a terrible relationship with the stepmother and they thought the stepmother was improperly getting money out of the trust through different mechanisms. So they sued mm-hmm. her. We represented the, the kids mm-hmm. and you know, the attorney's fees were piling up and we were telling them guys, you know, there's this trust has, has some money in it, but you know, it's going to make sense to settle soon because we're burning through. You're paying a lot of money. She's paying a lot of money. 
there's not going to be much left if this right. continues. You know what they said? Hmm. Burn it to the ground. We oh, don't care. We wow. can afford your fees. We'd rather have every nickel burned in attorney's fees than give evil stepmother a penny. Wow. Which, as a lawyer, is, is a beautiful thing, right? But it's <laughs> Yeah, because terrible. you're able to send your kids to college. Right. Um, but, <laughs> oh I mean, goodness. so toxic. I mean, so sometimes that was probably the most extreme stepmother situation that we've seen. But um, I just want to pause and but pause. But it happens so often. It's such a, you know, a, unless there's a really good relationship between mm-hmm. the kids and the, the stepmother, um, which typically is not the case, I've noticed. Right. Um, William. But it, it's insane to create that sort of plan. So I actually tell clients in that situation, you know, leave some to the wife, leave some to the kids. And, um, you know, don't William. keep, don't create a circumstance where they have to maintain that relationship after you've gone. Because the only thing that's keeping that relationship somewhat civil is nobody wants to upset dad. But once yes. he's out of the equation, it's on, it's a war. Yes. Um, yes. So, you know, don't create circumstances where you can kind of foresee people that don't get along making them try to get along it doesn't work yes can you hear me um, so that's a a pretty common one that we see wow that was a fantastic example i feel like we've covered a lot of the different scenarios but i'm sure there's so many more i think when we were setting up this call today you also talked about different scenarios where there's um, not just the parents passing away, but there's times when um, children are do- like are passing away, or right. there's other just different scenarios of um, malice. Is this a good time to just give some other scenarios of who might come to see you and how you help them? Sure, um, you know it's. When a, a child, you know, passes away before the parent and the parent is left, you know, dealing with everything, it's devastating for them. Um, it can be really challenging. And, you know, a lot of times the, the kid, you know, dies unexpectedly. So, you know, there's not a lot of tax planning going on and it can get pretty intense um, emotionally for the parents. Um, so it's, that's something that, you know, unfortunately, happens more often than you think, at least from my experience. Um, you know, perhaps I see an unusual amount of that, but yeah, um, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, so- it's, it's one of those situations where, um, from a planning standpoint, you know, as soon as someone turns 18, it makes a lot of sense for them to get you know the powers of attorney, the healthcare service, all those documents in place. Um, you know, because once they're an adult, the parents can't necessarily act on behalf of the children anymore. Um, so it's one of those, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging situation when a parent has to step in to care for a child and for malice. I mean, oh my gosh, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. Um, we had one client get poisoned, uh, oh my goodness. last year, um, uh, which was pretty interesting. Um, you know, he survived, um, but it was, uh, you know, it, it, physically, he was fine. He ended up being okay. 
But the level of betrayal that he experienced was emotionally just absolutely wrecked them. Um, oh so we had to jump no, in quickly I- and change plans, um, you know, to, to address that situation. But it seemed to me like the biggest part of that, it would just spend hours just you know, talking with the guy. Um, and while he was trying to process what had happened. Um, so there's, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty dynamic profession. Yeah. Where, so um, I have a question. How do you then you know, with all, I, I feel almost more like a therapist at times than a lawyer. Oh my goodness. Um, that's so true. The technical legal aspect of what we do. I find, you know, it isn't all that complicated. The more challenging thing is, again, navigating those dynamics, navigating those emotions, and working with people to the point where they feel protected in what they're doing and satisfied, right. and they think they're doing the right thing by right. the people that they love and the people in their lives. Right. That's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I can see how you would feel like you are a professional therapist. So on the topic of staying sane... How do you stay sane mentally, physically, and spiritually when you're dealing with at times situations that seem a little bit insane? How do you take care of you? So I think compartmentalization is important um, and you have to detach. Um, so, you know, sometimes you get wrapped up into the, the client's emotions and their circumstances, but you know, you, you have to wrap yourself, I guess, in that professional cloak and, uh, make certain that you realize this, you know, it's not your family. You're a professional and an advisor and your job is to help them, but you can't fix everything. Um, so that's, you know, it, it, detachment, meaning not getting too emotionally involved is important. Um, so, so what's your self-care routine to do that? Because when we're in the moment of now, like for instance, when I have patients throughout the day or I'm about to do an interview, when I was having some tech issues today and starting our show, I took a deep breath. I told myself it's going to be fine. I went and got a coffee. I told you in, in between patients, like let's say one minute I have a situation where someone is thinking about leaving the planet. And then the next news is like great news. Like someone graduated college and all their years of mental health are doing fantastic. So I have routines in between appointments and then I have self-care routines with swimming at night and I do prayer. What are some of your own unique tricks to not take it personal and to do self-care in between calls and also balancing a family life? To me, besides margaritas, right? Um, <laughs> oh my God. I just saw like an entrepreneur idea. Like they walk into your firm and it's got like this incredible, like different margaritas with different um, names based on your mood state. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm in a dicey mood. I'm in a delicate mood. Right. That's a spicy I'm a, margarita. I'm spicy, <laughs> spicy. Okay. So besides your margaritas, what are some of your self-care <laughs> tools that you do as an attorney? Oh my gosh. You try to exercise. Um, you know, I, I, I try to meditate in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a pretty good job of it, but, but I find, gosh, exercise. And for me, cardio, um, and some weightlifting, mm-hmm. you know, just, it, it releases so much tension and it, it makes me, feel, it, I find that much more therapeutic than, 
um, than meditation. Um, well, you know what I was going to say? This is important. We've been doing a lot of meditation myth busting on my show, and it's something mm-hmm. that I'm passionate about. And any activity you do when you're in the moment of right now, being at peace in this moment, whether it's working out, listening to your favorite song. I've even found a way as I'm like folding wash or doing the dishes to get into like a Zen state that Mm -hmm. when you're at inner peace and your mind is calm in this moment, that is the meditation. So it sounds like your meditation is a moving meditation of cardio. And I I think that's fantastic. Um, Are there any other uh, self-care tips you want to share with us or anything else we did not cover that you wanted to in today's show? Yeah, I, I don't bring it home or, you know, I try to not answer emails or phone calls during the weekends when I'm at home with my family or like after hours. You know, sometimes people feel like they can call me late at night and I, I just don't take those calls. And it can be a challenge, right? Sometimes you have to train clients to make them realize you're just not accessible to them 24-7. Oh, but, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. That's you you fantastic. have to leave it at the office. You're really, yeah, that, that's one me. that I can't do as much because of the nature of me 24-7 being a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting, William. Someday you'll meet my son, Kieran. He's like, now, mom, is it an emergency? You need to put your phone down. He's like so funny. He knows how to get grab my time. Right. And then I find doing things outside of the home. It sounds like you're working in an office. My patients are still loving telehealth. So even though I have an office, I'm here. So that demarcation of work and home life, I find when I go to the pool, it creates a demarcation, but it sounds like you go physically into an office. So it's a little bit easier to compartmentalize in a fiscal linear way, correct? Mm-hmm. You're not doing any, uh, you're, are you ever doing a little bit of work at home? I, I, I do. So uh, my office is a little bit farther away. So I have a, a small home office, but that's, that's the home office. Um, you know, so like, I don't, Try not to go in there during the weekends. Um, I'll let email sit over the weekends. Now, William, for any for anyone listening, if they're not in Florida, so tell us about, are you able to practice law only in Florida or can you do it in the United States? Oh, I or think it you... went out again. Okay, William, so you're practicing in Florida. Yes. Does that mean all of your clients need to be in Florida or do you do some consulting and then refer them back to Tell us all how everyone can find you and what the process is if they want to give you a call and start working with you. Sure. So the the best way to find us through our website, it's finleystetson.com, F-I-N-L-E-Y, Stetson, like the hat, all one big word, .com. That's our website. We're in South Florida in Delray Beach, which is in Palm Beach County. Um, So we're Florida lawyers. Uh, so for estate planning and that type of work, typically we work with Florida people, but we do a lot of inbound migration. So a huge part of our practice are folks moving from the Northeast, you know, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey to Florida, mostly for tax purposes, including California. We have some folks moving from across the country to Florida. Wow. Okay. This will be, you know what? We'll do another show in a couple months about what happens when you're moving inbound. Because I feel like that could be its own short. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Okay. So do you, you just gave your website and are you also on LinkedIn if um, a professional wants to follow you? 
Thank you, William. It looks like we dropped off. William Stetson, everyone, you can find out all about him in the bio. And thank you guys for listening today. Remember to protect your assets.